Today's reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 26. For just as a body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would make not that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. All right, you guys can have a seat. And as you do, uh, would you pray with me? Father, uh, man, I'm grateful for this morning. I'm grateful that we get to come together. We get to hear from your word. I do pray now, uh, just for the next few moments, as we look at your word, would you speak to us um, as a body and uh, uniquely to, to each individual, God? Would you uh, encourage and rebuke and exhort whatever it is you need to do in our hearts, God? Would you do that through your word this morning? Would you give us sharp minds and soft hearts as we approach the word of God, that it would shape us and that you would draw us into worship? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in, the, uh, in the summer of 2016, so a couple years ago, my wife and I took a group of college students to Thailand for like a mission trip for about a month. And so uh, we went over to Thailand, we took about 10 students, we get over there, and uh, it was great. We traveled around throughout the first three weeks or so to different parts of Thailand, and then the last week that we were there, the plan was uh, to come back to Bangkok, do a, a little bit of ministry with some other ministries in the city, and then go home. Well, with about a week to go, we get back to Bangkok, and uh, one morning I wake up, and I just kind of start to feel uh, a little off. So I kind of woke up, I had a little bit of a fever, but in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I can probably power through, it's a little fever, it's fine, and uh, I don't know if any of you guys are like me, but I just, I don't go to the doctor, so that's just, I know we have like medical professionals here, and, and students and stuff, and I think you guys are great and do great things. I just, for whatever reason, I always kind of just assume, like, it'll probably pass. You know, whatever it is, my body will kind of figure it out, and you kind of get through it. Um, That doesn't always uh, fly with my wife, though. And so uh, she has this way of lovingly persuading me when I'm sick to get to the hospital. And so there was like, I think there was a period between when I left my parents' house and I got married. That didn't go to the doctor once in like six or seven years. And then I get married, and she gets me to go to the doctor. So we're in Thailand, which kind of ups the ante a little bit. And she's like, okay, you need to go to the hospital. So we go in, 
they did some tests, whatever. They didn't really figure out what it was. So they gave me this general antibiotic thing and they said, okay, you're probably fine. So you can go. So go home, get the antibiotic. Next day, wake up again and things were like progressively getting worse. And so now it wasn't just like I had a fever, but I was kind of like conscious, but unconscious a little bit. Like I was completely zoned out. I couldn't eat anything. I just had more issues, let's just say. And so the Bailey again said, hey, you need to go to the hospital. So we go to another hospital in Thailand. And uh, long story short, at this hospital, we ended up staying for a few days. And um, what they said was that I, I probably got E. coli, which in and of itself isn't the end of the world. You go overseas, you get things like that. So uh, I got E. coli. But the issue was, is that I have some sort of uh, problem with my kidneys, uh, which I've had for a long time. I don't really know what it is. Maybe if I went to the doctor, I'd get that sorted out. But that's probably not here nor there. Uh, But since my kidneys are a little bit weaker than normal, they don't function quite as well. When I got E. coli, I didn't actually like exhibit the normal signs of E. coli. It actually began to just affect my kidneys. Now, my kidneys, for lack of a better explanation, kind of just started shutting down. Like they just like, we're not working. So I'm in the hospital. That led to some other issues, as you might assume. And so I wasn't eating. I started to have stomach issues. I started to have issues in my back. I ended up getting gout in my foot. Like all these sort of things happened because my kidneys weren't functioning so well. And what I learned over this week, which I kind of knew, but I mean, this kind of cemented it, is that uh, what I saw that week is that you really need your entire body to function well if you want your entire body to function well. Like, does that make sense? Like, you, 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 we have all these unique parts in our body, but if one of them is kind of weak, if one of them is susceptible, it's going to cause issues in many other parts. So I had weak kidneys. Well, that, you know, I started with a fever that attacked my kidneys that led to stomach issues that led to me not being able to eat, which led to me throwing up, which led to all these random things all kind of traced back to the fact that my kidneys weren't really functioning well. You see in the body, even though we have a bunch of separate and unique parts, we have arms and appendages and we have organs and muscles and all these things, they're actually all quite dependent on one another. And I think it's, it's that reality that, that a body is one, but they need all the other parts to function if you want to thrive. It's, it's that reality that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, that he grabs onto, and he applies that to say, this is how you should view the church. This illustration of the body functioning well, he says, that's how I want you to think about how the church should function. And so this morning, as we're continuing on in our growth series, like Jared said, last week we looked at evangelism, we looked kind of outside the church and how do we engage people that don't know Jesus. This week I want us to kind of look in, and I want us to to see, okay, what would it look like in 2018 for us to grow as a healthy body? But what would that look like to grow in health as a body? And we're going to do that from 1 Corinthians 12. So if you're not there yet, uh, if you have a Bible, go 1 Corinthians 12. Otherwise, we'll have it on the screens in a moment. Um, but as, we, as you get there and as we get into this, I think from this passage that was just read for us, the main thing that Paul is communicating is that as a local church, as, as Providence, we are one in Christ Yet we are many in gifts and together in action. So we are one in Christ, many in gifts, yet together in action. And so we're going to walk through kind of the three sections that Paul uh, has here. And we're just going to see that we're one in Christ, we are many in gifts, and we are together in action. So if you have a Bible, go 1 Corinthians 12, 
We're going to start in verse 12 as we see uh, that we are one in Christ. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. Now, if you... Uh, if you've been around your Bible a little bit, you may know uh, that this passage that we're getting into is, is one of the more controversial passages in Christianity. So if you're kind of new to your Bible, this uh, section of Scripture, the chapter 12, 13, and 14, really centers around uh, spiritual gifts. So this is where we get a lot of our information on, uh, he mentions things like tongues and prophecy and miracles and healings and all these uh, supernatural type gifts. Now, I'm not going to be preaching specifically on those verses and on those gifts, um, but I, I'm doing that purposefully because I don't really think that's actually the point. You see, in the church, uh, what we do is we often like to get into these debates with each other, not even just with kind of outsiders, but just with ourselves. And what we tend to do is we'll pull verses or phrases out of random places, and we kind of use them as proof text to kind of validate our agenda, right? Have you ever done this? you ever seen this? Where we just kind of pull random things and we say, well, this verse says this, so that's just true. And what we like to do is we'll do that. We get into these arguments just to kind of prove an agenda or a point that we want to make. We see, the problem with that is that if we take 1 Corinthians 12, for example, we look at this passage and we begin to get all enamored by these supernatural gifts, these crazy things that we want to kind of figure out. And, and then we start to think, okay, now, how do I get these gifts, right? Like, I want my relationship with God to flourish, and so how do I get these crazy gifts, and, and what does that look like? And we begin to actually do the very thing that Paul is warning against in the very chapter that we're getting these from. So just track with me. If you were to zoom out a little bit, and we zoomed out from 1 Corinthians 12, and we looked at 12, 13, and 14, where these verses kind of come from. In those verses, it's, Paul's not actually giving a robust theology on spiritual gifts. What Paul is doing is he is telling the church, fight for unity, Now think about how crazy this is. In a section of scripture where Paul is saying, fight for unity in the church. I want you to be one. I want you to use the gifts that God's given you to help the church. I want this thing to be really tight, just like how body functions. We pull verses out of that section and try to divide with other Christians because they don't have certain gifts or we have certain things that we like that they don't like. And if you zoom out even a little bit further, you know, if you look at 1 Corinthians as a whole, this entire book, The Apostle Paul wrote this to one local church in Corinth. That's where Corinthians comes from. It's the people at the church at Corinth. He wrote this book to them because this church was marked by arrogance. It was marked by sin. It was marked by divisiveness. And Paul writes and says, I want this church to let go of some of the divisiveness, some of the arrogance, and I want you to be unified in love. So the whole point of the book, he's saying, hey, I want you to walk away from sin. I want you to quit being divisive. I want you to be unified, and I want you to act purely out of love. And it's in this section that we pull verses out, and we say, well, it's all about this one idea, and we begin to divide when that's the very thing Paul is warning against. You see, the whole backdrop of the verses that we're going to read today 
is I want you to be unified in love. In other words, Paul is trying to say to that church, and I think Scripture is trying to say to us as a church, we are one in Christ. Fight to be one in Christ. I mean, if you didn't catch it, look at these verses again. Um, In verses 12 and 13, in two verses, he says the word one five times. Look at it. He says, the body is one. We are one body. We have one spirit. We've been baptized into one body. We drink of one spirit. Over and over and over again in this section, he's saying, you're one. We are one. Be one. This, he's fighting for oneness amongst the church. So before he can call us to any sort of action and any sort of application, he wants to remind us we're one in Christ. And so I would ask you guys, before we move towards application, what this looks like, do, do you actually view yourself as, as one with the church? Do you view us as a church as one in Christ? Are we united together in Christ? You know, if you're, if you're not a Christian or you're not a believer in Jesus yet, the, the, the beautiful reality that Scripture teaches about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is that he, he does two amazing things for us in terms of unity. Because in our sin, we have been separated from God, yet because Jesus died and rose again, he has united us with the Father again. He's united us with the Creator, with God Almighty. But the second thing the Bible says is that he has actually not only united us with himself, but he's united us together. He has given us the church to be unified with. If you look at Ephesians 2, the whole chapter is you've been united with God, and then you've been united with one another. It's a beautiful passage that shows this, that the gospel isn't just that you have, as an individual have been saved in your relationship with God, but you have also been kind of bound together with other believers. And I think this is hard for us sometimes because we are in a culture uh, that is incredibly individualistic. And that's just the way it is. I'm not trying to talk really bad about it. I mean, it's just, we are just, the Western culture is very individualistic. There's some pros to that, but there's also some cons. And a big con is when we as the church begin to think about what it means to be a community, we struggle to think outside of individualistic terms. I mean, even if you would take kind of my generation and the millennials, there's kind of this, you know, new wave of we want genuine community, right? We want authentic, uh, authenticity, and we want to be together. But only if that's really kind of on our terms, right? Like, I mean, just if we're honest with ourselves, and this is me too, that if we're honest, we say, I really want authentic community, um, but I want it authentic in the way that I kind of want it authentic. And, and it, it's got to be with the people that I want it to be against. And if people push back against that, then I'm going to leave that community. And I'm going to find a new community, right? And, and what we're doing is we're saying, I want this great community that kind of fits me, right? Like if my needs are getting better, if it's kind of what I want, then, then I'm one with these people. And what we're doing is we're taking an individualistic mindset and we're placing that over on top of the Bible when Paul would say, no, it's not just about you, it's about the church that God has saved to be one. I think we view this way when we think about the church, right? I mean, if, we, if the church doesn't have certain uh, groups that we like the way that we like them, if the you know, pastor is weird and says weird things, or if the music is different than we want, we just continually think, well, I, I don't need to be com- fully committed. I'll be here for a few months and here for a few months, and we just leave for just a random assortment of reasons that just kind of fit our needs, But Paul says here to one local church, he's saying, look, you guys are one. 
You guys are in this together. We are one in Christ. You got the same spirit, the same baptism, and the same Lord. You are one. He says it doesn't matter. Jew or Greek, slave or free, it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your color. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. He says it doesn't matter if you are in Christ, if you've trusted in Christ, you are one with the body. We're one in Christ. We are a body. But with that, Paul then, laying that foundation again, begins to move on. And then he moves, interestingly, he says, you're one in Christ. But then he moves on to say, but we're really diverse. He says, the church should be diverse. Look with me again. He says, we're one in Christ, but we're many in gifts. Look at verse 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Do you believe that you have a unique role and gifting to be a part of the church? Like, do you believe that you really belong as part of the church? Do you belong here? You know, when I say here, I do mean providence in some sense, but just in God's family, in the body of Christ, do you believe that you belong? A week ago, I, uh, I started this online class through this thing called edX. And uh, basically what they do is they kind of synthesize and condense some courses from universities like Harvard and Berkeley and MIT and all these universities. And they condense these classes, put it onto an online format for really cheap so that you can go on and you can just kind of learn and, and discuss things with other people. And so I started a class the other week and it's on world religions uh, and conflict and peace. So the whole class is filled with people of random religions or non-religious people, and they come, and and it just kind of looks at how do different religions talk about conflict and peace. Well, if you've ever done the online thing, you know that kind of at the beginning of any class, you do the the personal introductions, and so... um, so I was reading through some introductions. You're supposed to engage and, and write back and stuff. And one of the people that I read uh, was just kind of a, for me, it was just kind of a heartbreaking story. So this person was talking and they were saying, you know, I grew up in the church. I was a part of the church from a young kid. My family goes to church. I was there all the way growing up. Um, but as I got a little bit older, I started to struggle with some things. I started to question some things. And it began to, to be clear to me that the church really wasn't a place for me. And they go on to say, you know, everybody kind of looked and acted a certain way, and, and I just didn't fit into the church mold. I realized as I got older, they said, that I didn't belong in the church. Now, unfortunately, I don't think this person is alone in feeling this way. I mean, you ever feel like that? Maybe churches you've been a part of before, maybe this church even so far. You've been here and you look around and you think, I don't know if I belong here. Like I don't, I, I've done some things. I don't have the right background. I don't look like some of the other people here. They kind of seem to have it together. They do really great things. I just, I don't know if I fit in. I don't know if there's any purpose for me to be here. You ever feel that? I think it's that idea 
that Paul is specifically addressing in this section. Again, remember, in Corinth at this time, there were actually people in the church saying, look, if, if you don't have certain gifts, or if you don't follow certain teachers, or, or if you don't know a certain amount, you're, you're not really a Christian. Like, you don't really belong here. If you, if you don't, you know, kind of do the things that we do, if you don't know enough, if you don't follow the right people, you, you don't have a place. And it's in that context, in people feeling like, yeah, I guess if I don't have this gift or serve in this way, then, you know, I don't have a place in the church. And it's to that that Paul writes, starting in verse 14, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he goes on to give some of these examples. He says, how can in the body the foot say to the hand, you know, I'm no hand. You know, the hand is doing great things. I'm not a hand, and so I don't belong. Or he says, how can the ear say, look, I'm not an eye. And since I'm not an eye and I can't see, there's no place for me. I don't belong because I'm not an eye. Paul's saying, this is ridiculous. This is foolish. He goes on to say, look, we are one in Christ, but in God's amazing providence, no pun intended, in God's amazing providence, he has gifted different people with unique skills and roles So that when you put them all together, then they make a functioning body. You see what he's doing there? He's saying, look, he in his just amazing foresight has said, I'm going to bring together people that are different, make them one, and in that the body will actually function. I mean, look at verse 18. He lays this out. He says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but yet one body. And talking about this idea, Tim Keller in his book, Center Church, calls this idea, every member gospel ministry. Every member gospel ministry. And what he does is he argues that the church really only thrives when everybody in the church sees themselves with a role to play. He says it's every member ministry. That's what he argues for. And so, again, before we move on to any sort of application, I want to encourage you all. You are needed here at Providence. If you're a member of Providence, this is your, this is your church. You're needed here. Like God has uniquely given you a gift and skills and a role and a purpose to play At this church. It says so right here. It says God arranged this this way. That because you have been wired in that way, we need you to function well. You're not simply just a a consumer. You're not just someone who just comes to church. God has gifted you so you don't just consume, but so you actually serve so that the church can move forward. The church needs every member gospel ministry. We are one in Christ, but we are many in gifts. And for the body to flourish, we need all the members all in. So we're many in Christ, we're many in gifts, but we are together in action. Let's look at the last few verses here. I'm going to read 21, just to 25. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary... The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. Anthony Thistleton, on his commentary on 1 Corinthians, says that this right here is the essential problem at the church in Corinth. He said the whole problem can be summed down to this idea. I have no need of you. So that's the issue that's going on here in Corinth. We see it twice in verse 21. What he argues is that Christians in this church were beginning to truly believe, I don't need other Christians. Like, I have no need for you. I am doing just fine on my own. They could do this Christianity thing all by themselves, that they were gifted enough or spiritual enough or wise enough or whatever enough that they have no need of the church. And oh, doesn't that sound a bit too familiar to some of the sentiments we may feel are here today? As I was writing this, I was thinking, man, this is, this is us today. Right? I mean, have you ever said or have you ever heard, you know, the idea of, um, you know, I, I like Jesus, could do without the church, right? Like, you know, I, I like to worship just kind of by myself. Or I, I, you know, I go out to nature and that's where I worship. That's my church. Now look, Jesus and, and nature and those things, those are great things. But here's the reality. The Bible says that Christ died to unify you to himself and his church. The Bible is very clear throughout that God is not just saving individuals to worship him, but a people to be his people. That is who he is saving. I mean, Paul says here, look, it would be foolish for the eye to say to the hand, I have no need of you, hand. Right? I mean, it's like, good luck, eyeball. Like, you're not going to do anything. Like, that's, it's foolish. He's bringing out the absurdity of this doesn't make any sense. How could the eye say to the hand, I don't need you to be the body? Yeah, many of us, I think, would similarly with the Corinthians not see the value in the church. I think we, either in function or actually with our hearts or with our mouths, would say, I have no need of you. But I love the explanation given here that Paul writes to combat this idea. He starts in verse 22. I love this. He says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker... Those parts that you think you don't need are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. Skip down to the middle of verse 24. But God has so composed the body, so this is God's work that he's done, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. So if you're tracking through his entire argument What he's getting to is, you know those parts of the body, those people, those things in the church that you feel like you have no need for? God says those things are indispensable in his church. You know the people that you feel like are just more difficult and just don't have the same gifts or aren't as solid as you? He said, God wants to give great honor to those parts of the body. I mean, think about this uh, in, with my Thailand health fiasco, right? When I think about body parts that I want to make sure are healthy, I'm thinking, you know, like my brain, right? My head, maybe my heart, probably like my legs or something. Like I need to, those are the parts that I'm thinking, if I can keep those healthy, I'm probably functioning okay. I don't often think, man, I hope my kidneys make it. 
right? I mean, I think you can live without one, right? So you, you lose one, it's okay. They're kind of indispensable. You don't really need it. And so I'm not thinking, man, I just really hope my kidneys make it. But this text is saying, look, those kidneys don't function. The rest of the body ain't gonna function. He's saying even the parts that you don't necessarily think about as being of great value are indispensable. Every little part of the body matters in order for the body to thrive. And so I think that this is a little bit humbling for us to some extent. I think it's kind of humbling in two ways. Let me just say quickly, as nicely and as lovingly as I can, you aren't too good for the church. Like, you're just not. If you're a Christian, if you have believed in Jesus as your Savior, you're not too good for the church. And it may not feel like it always. You know, like, I had bad kidneys for 10 years, you know, and for eight of them, it it didn't really affect me. Like, things just didn't really matter. But eventually they did. I gotta tell you, if you're in the church, the... E. coli's coming for your kidneys. Like, it's going to happen at some point. There's going to be moments in life where things get so hard that if you are not attached to the body, you won't be able to thrive. I mean, there's going to be moments where the church family, the gift of God for you, is going to be needed for your family to thrive. It's a blessing that God has given you. But secondly, maybe to some others, let me just say this. I think this humbles us in some sense in that when we think about serving, when we think about the roles that we are to play in the church, I would encourage us all, myself included, to continually question why do we want to serve in the ways we want to serve? If you've got certain things you really want to do, check your heart and just ask, why is that? You know, if... If it's really about kind of, you know, getting to the stage or if it is about um, just kind of being noticed or, you know, doing the things that kind of some people will see and getting some honor that way. I think God wants you to know that he finds great honor in all the places where the world gives no honor. You know, all the little things that people do that maybe nobody recognizes in the church. God says those are indispensable and he's got great honor for those acts, for those people who serve. Now, I know that that maybe means a lot from the guy on stage telling you, but let me just be honest with you. This is just kind of my wrestle with this passage. Um, because I don't, I really don't honestly have a like natural desire for the spotlight. Like I do not just want to just get on stage. And I don't want to just be the guy. You know, if you know me very well, you know, in a room full of a hundred some people, I will most often be the guy who is not talking. Like, that's just how I'm wired. I just don't, I'm not loud, I'm not flashy. I don't like being heard in like big groups and stuff. And I had to wrestle with when I felt like the Lord was calling me to stand up in front of a lot of people and and preach and talk and be the one that people are looking at. And this was a, this was a wrestle because, it, again, if you know me, I just, I'm never going to be the leader or the pastor of this church that is flashy and is charismatic. And in every group, I'm always going to be talking. That's just not me. But I will say this. I do feel like God has called me to serve Providence Church by just preaching his word on some Sundays. That that's a calling that God has given me. Or let me give you another example. I had a, a seminary professor a couple weeks ago who, this guy is just brilliant. I mean, just an amazing man. He said, you know, in the church, I'm kind of like the stomach. 
He said, I've never considered myself to be, um, you know, this great scholar or this thinker and kind of this ivory tower. He said, no, 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 I've never thought that. He said, what God has gifted me in is, I, he just said, I just know I have a very bright mind and I can write. And he said, what God has done is he has told me to ingest a ton of information, kind of divvy it out, get the, the best parts of that, and then scatter that throughout the rest of the body. He said, that's my role. I'm a glorified stomach. My whole job is to write commentaries and to write all these textbooks that most pastors will end up using in seminary. He said, not because I'm just like this brilliant guy above everybody, but that's just what God has called me to do to help his church. And I love that because I think that's just him saying, look, this is what I'm naturally good at, and this is how I can serve the church of Christ. And so... In this series, we, we want to end kind of each one of these with just some basic kind of application. Just looking at, okay, if that's true, if what Paul just said, that we are one in Christ, we are many in gifts, that everyone has a gift and a purpose to play, and we are to do that together with each other, then what does that look like for us? And before, I've got one quick challenge and goal at the end I want to say, but before I even get there, I do want to just highlight that I, I don't think I'm speaking to a group of people that don't do this at all. You know, if you've been around Providence for a while, you know that we have uh, been a church plant that really is alive because a lot of people have gone all in and said, I want to serve. I can do this part. Let me do this. I'm naturally good at this. I want to serve in this way. And so I want to just highlight a couple of these. And I'm not going to say any names because a lot of the people that do a lot of this stuff really don't like the spotlight. And so I don't want to make people feel awkward. And secondarily, I really believe when Jesus says, if you get praise from man, that's your reward. If you don't get praise from man, you get a heavenly reward in God's honor. And so I want to save your heavenly reward by not saying your name. But I do want to highlight that our church is doing this. Let me give you a few examples of how this looks. Um, The one that that we've maybe mentioned before uh, is that we have this amazing media team. Okay, we have this team that basically started with one guy coming to Jared and I and just simply saying, hey, I think that we could do some different stuff in media, even as a church plant, um, to kind of set the bar high in our city for just excellence and art. And so he said, hey, I want to start. Well, another guy came and said, you know, I do graphic design, so I could do all your graphics for you. Another guy works for a video company, and he said, well, I can shoot your videos and kind of do some editing for you. And then some others said, hey, I'm, I'm a photographer, so I could do all your pictures if you want. Or another person's really good at communication and social media, and they said, I can run that stuff for you. And now we have this big team of people that are either in school or working in certain fields that said, I can do that to serve the church. Nothing huge, nothing fancy. It's just doing what they're naturally good at to help the church. Uh, another one that I love is um, all of our serving team leaders. So again, a lot of us may even see uh, anyone who serves on a Sunday is, is vital, but these leaders are giving up hours during the week to, to communicate, to set schedules, then to be heartbroken on Saturday night when we tell them, hey, we're not coming the next day, and they got to scramble, right? These are leaders that have just said, look, I can give five hours a week to helping all of this on a Sunday morning function. I can do that. Another one that I love is um, we have a team that maybe many of you, we don't even think about, um, but we have a team that gets here every single morning at like 7 to 7.30 to set up everything that you see here. So I know as you look around, you think, well, that's not much. But if we didn't have this team, there would be nothing. Like, there would be no chairs out. There would be no tables. There would be no instruments. Nothing would happen unless a group of people said, hey, I can wake up a few hours early. I can get there, and I can just set things up. 
And that is one where I feel like this passage speaks to directly. He says that is indispensable and God finds great delight in those who will probably never be known by 90% of our church, but they do it every single week. Another group that I love is for our city group leaders, specifically the ones that host. That is a hard task every week to have, you know, to clean your whole house, to have people there for two hours, and then have to clean your whole house right away again. Like, that's, that is hard, and that's tough to do week in and week out. But we have, I think with the college group, we have like 10 or 11 city groups, and those are in homes where people have said, I will gladly open up my home for the people of God to come and engage with each other. People who bring food to those groups every single week who just say, look, I can provide for this group. The, I have a few more. The last one I would say is um, it, we just started kind of this blog and podcast thing here at Providence that we want to uh, begin to process through um, information, just think through critically as a church how we should live. And um, that really starts because there's a few people in our church that have said, you know, I'm a writer or I write often. I can write for you guys. Like I can do that. And there's other people. We have a gal who um, has done editing and some technical writing and stuff. And she said, hey, look, I can edit all of your stuff because while I can maybe write and think some things, it would not make sense if I wrote it for you guys. And so she said, look, let me just take that, make all the edits and stuff and get that out in a a way that you guys can actually understand it. That's somebody saying, look, this is just what I can do. I can serve the church that way. You see how, I mean, this isn't anything huge and flashy. It's just people saying, this is what I do well. I can serve the church in that. So let me end by just giving a quick challenge and then a goal for us. Um, I think my challenge for us as we think moving forward is that would we, as everybody, all of us as individuals, would we really truly consider ourselves one? You know, like would we be all in and committed to this group of people here at Providence Church? You know, I know many of you are. Many of you are here and you're serving and you're all in. Um, but I know we also have a handful of people who are kind of in and out for various reasons. And I would say, man, would there be a season coming up where you would just go all in and commit to being here at Providence, to being a part of what's going on here, to, to play a part in the every member gospel ministry, that, that truly the church, that your definition of church would move from just a place you go to some Sundays to the people that you actually belong to. The church would actually be your people. And then my goal, I mean, this is fairly simple, but I, I think when I was reading about this idea of this every member gospel ministry, you know, there's a saying that in churches, 20% of the people do 80% of the work, right? That there's just a few people that do a lot of stuff, but most people just don't know how to do things or where they should do it or whatever. I want to challenge us that in 2018, we would truly move into an every member gospel ministry. That if you call Providence Church home, that there would be a place where you say, yeah, this is, this is my piece of the church. Like, this is where I run after things. This is where I serve. That, that this is how I help the ministry of Providence Church move forward. That we wouldn't have anybody here who's a core member of the church saying, yeah, I go there, but, you know, I don't, it's not really my thing. There's not really much that I do there. I just kind of attend on some Sundays. That we would transform that. I don't know of any church that could say we have everybody in our church moving the ball forward. But that's what we want to pray into that you would feel like there is a place for you here at Providence. You would feel like there's something that you are good at, that you're gifted in, that this church needs. I want to call you into that. Let me read this final verse, and I'm going to pray. I love this last line. He sums everything up like this. 
Verse 26, he says, If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to pray that you would use this word, your words from 1 Corinthians 12, um, to shape our church, that you would define us in that way. I want to pray two things for, for us this morning. I want to pray first, would you encourage those here this morning who maybe feel out of place, maybe feel like they don't quite belong, who maybe feel like they don't have anything to offer, who have maybe been told that, maybe they've been telling themselves that. Spirit of God, I pray right now that you would encourage their hearts to show them that you have a purpose for them, that they have a gift and a skill and a role to play here at Providence. God, I also want to pray just for a challenge for all of us that we would be prayerful and consider how can I give myself to the ministry here? How can I, in greater ways, consider myself one with these people, that this local church would be my family, that we would be um, a body? Would you use us, God? We don't want to just play church, and we don't want to just put on a Sunday gathering. We want to be the body so that we can actually glorify you so that we can reach more people in our city and so we can actually see the kingdom of heaven here on earth. But we need you to do that. Spirit of God, this will not happen apart from you working in us. So would you encourage, would you challenge us, and would we grow in this over the course of this year? pray in Jesus' name, amen.